0: Well, hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blank. I am super excited that you're here. A couple of weeks ago, we had a really young guy, Kyle Marcott, come on and talk about how in the war- he quit his college through uh, multifamily investing. And today we have a very similar story. Uh, our guest is Jacob Blackett, and he started investing in college also as a sophomore. Now, he didn't get right into multifamily. In fact, he had quite the excruciating journey building up a portfolio of single family houses and turnkeys, and he got started with wholesaling. And what I love about his story is that it really presents the, I would almost say the traditional path to the epiphany, which is multifamily. And He literally would checked every single box. Like it went from one, you know, the late line infomercial to the wholesaling to to the flipping, to the holding, and then finally going insane insane. I need to get into multifamily, that journey was pretty long, lengthy, and, uh, and tiring. He did it anyway. And we also didn't talk about scaling because once he discovered multifamily he was really able to scale owning hundreds and hundreds of units in the millions 40 50 60 million and how he scaled that you know who he who he hired what systems he used he actually ended up developing his own software as well really interesting guy and so if you want to know all the way how to get started from the very very beginning dealing with some of those i would say limiting beliefs maybe even false beliefs about investing or getting started with investing he went through all those things and he really has some great counsel on how to short circuit some of those things and some of the mistakes that he made, he actually lost a whole bunch of money on his on his first investment. And he almost quit because of it. So dealing with how do you deal with stuff like that with setbacks? And how do you short circuit and the most direct path and uh, the thing that you'll find is having the right model in place is so key. And today, through these podcasts and books, we have so many great models. So we can learn from people's mistakes. And gosh, even 510 years ago, there was hardly any models in, in especially in multifamily family space. And the only model we had was single family house investing. So really finding a great model. And Jacob is really a fantastic one, learning from his successes, but also from his mistakes. Let's get right in the episode. You're listening to the apartment building investing podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now your hosts, Michael Blanc. Now this episode is sponsored by our investor incubator mentoring program. It's really exciting. It's uh, it's been around for a good long while. We have full time syndicators that will be your personal mentor who have done what you want to do multiple times over. Have quit their job, hundreds of units, and you get to work one on one with them. And the success that our students are having is just really, really exciting. I think at the end of the day, everyone who sticks with it can be successful one way or another. But if you're able to work with a full time mentor who can show you the road. What we're finding is people do bigger deals faster and quit their jobs and then scale unbelievable companies. So I'm really excited about our Investor Incubator Mentoring Program. Check it out if it's for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and then just schedule a call with us. It's a no-obligation call to see if mentoring is right for you. If you value mentoring, we can really help you fast-track your success in the multifamily space. So check it out, themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Also, DealMaker Live is, in fact, Going virtual, it will be uh, July 16 to 18. More information is dealmakerliveevent.com. Dealmakerliveevent.com. We have a fantastic lineup for you. We're gonna have unbelievable networking opportunities, of course, all virtually and online. We have some cool technology that makes that really, really easy. So, dealmakerliveevent.com tickets are available now. Check it out, it's going to be exciting. We're really excited about that. So let's get into our episode here with Jacob Blackett and let's do this. Jacob, welcome to the show today. Thank you very much, Michael. So you got a really interesting story. And one of the most interesting things, well, there's many things, but one is that you got started really early with real estate. You were like a, a sophomore in college, right? What's going on there?
1: Yeah. Back in college, I saw an infomercial late one night. <laughs> I was uh, actually studying finance uh, and entrepreneurship. and And I think it was actually late in my freshman year, I saw an infomercial about fixing and flipping houses. This was maybe at one or 2am, whatever reason I flipped the TV on. And they're offering a free seminar, a free one night seminar to come out and check it out. And, and so I called in reserved my spot. This was in 2009. And went to the the one night, little seminar, which was, of course, they give you enough to get you pretty interested, but for the most part, it's a sale to get you into the weekend. So I was intrigued. I got sold. And, and so I put the weekend on the credit card and spent two days doing a fix and flip seminar. And
0: now, um, Let me stop you right there. Because yeah. why in the world, you're in, you're in sophomore. Like I remember back in sophomore, and I was like you're learning the art of how to throw, throw a party. And, and, <laughs> and you're at in some infomercial going, why is it? What attracted you to the whole real estate thing in the first place?
1: Quite honestly, no one in my family was in real estate. I didn't know anyone. I might have known or met a realtor once upon a time growing up but this was completely out of the picture i mean literally that infomercial was the first time i had sat i had considered that people make money in real estate and even through my college curriculum my course offerings there was nothing about real estate and so quite honestly it was not a long thought up thing it was literally that infomercial that. Turn my head to real estate,
0: and you think that you could use it was a way to earn money one day, so you don't have to get a job, or like what? Where are you? Where were you thinking this was going to go?
1: Yeah, well, through the seminars, I learned that people very commonly made twenty, thirty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars in profit on a single flip, and yeah. so my mindset then I was thinking from a finance, like studying finance and maybe wealth management, going and maybe getting a CPA. I'm looking at like starting salaries in the 50 to 70 K range. And, and then I can work my way up this corporate ladder. And then I'm thinking if I do two flips and I can make 40 or 50 grand each, that's pretty good. I feel ahead of the game. And so that's really what I was queuing it up against. That's interesting.
0: When I started flipping houses back in 2006, I did two house flips. I did a, I did a postcard mailing and out of that mailing, I got two houses owned by the same owner. And I flipped both of those for a combined profit, of like $110,000, which at the time was my salary. And I was, I was dumbfounded. I was like, yeah. cause I was doing this on the side. Right. right. And, and I was like, holy, I just made as much money all year on two house flips. Yeah. And it was like this mind, my mind was blown on that. So, so what did yeah. you do with that course? Did you, did you flip? Did you, what did you do with that? Did you flip some houses or what happened after that?
1: Yeah. So I eventually ended up doing a seminar down in the Inland Empire, down in LA area. And uh, this was in 2010. Through the seminar group, they had realtors uh, connected, construction company connected. They basically had the whole system, what you needed to fix and flip homes. I I was in Reno, Nevada, which is about seven or eight hour drive from LA. And it might be a little more than that. But I had all my systems. I had my You know, education there. And so I decided to go ahead and take on a couple flips. I actually talked to my grandma, who had actually received a settlement due to kidney failure and had some cash. And I I didn't grow up in a very well off family, not a lot of cash being flung around. And so this was very new to me. Uh, But I figured if I could take this $100,000 in cash and go buy a flip and return and make Grow that 100000 of capital into 200000 and make profits. It sounded like a good deal. So, so I stepped right into a fix and flip my sophomore year. It was basically a multiple offer from MLS. So I was just going out making offers, making offers. This was in 2010. There's still foreclosures. There's still some kind of crazy stuff going on in the market. And picked up a deal that if I remember correct, roughly, I was buying this for one fifty. Gonna spend thirty grand in in rehab and sell for two forty. So I penciled you. out, you know, some decent profit. And what happened? This is my first deal. I'm just flying solo here. Nineteen years old. A couple assumptions, right? Number one, the realtor, the comps, the two fifty sell for two fifty. Not quite. Number two, the construction costs. Just because you put a budget together, just because they say that in a contract that gives you this budget doesn't mean it's going to happen as we what? as we now learn through hundreds of kind deals. of flipper so,
0: are you Geez, i mean all oh, my yeah. houses went right according to plan <laughs> just right according to plan oh no yeah so construction cap costs ran over
1: i spent way too long rehabbing it i i leveraged hard money to actually make the deal work so i had some interest payments hitting every month post the thing for sale at the listing price nothing's happening drop the price, drop the price. So when all is said and done with that hard money loan and being leveraged up, I lost about 40 grand on that deal.
0: Welcome to investing, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that that set me back quite a bit. And I quite honestly, it took a while to kind of once all the once the checks settled and and I was looking up the, you know, what was left in the bank account, what I started with. And it took me a while to reconcile that. I wasn't sure if this was just the craziest thing that has ever happened. People really don't make money in real estate; uh, they just sell the idea of doing it. But I, I kept going back to the fact that I met people who were making money, who were doing it, who were successful, and and so this thought kept in my head. and And after a few months of kind of wowing uh, around a bit, I decided to double down, get more education, approach it from a different angle, if I could partner with those people that are making money to get to really get started and get off the ground i felt like that would offset my risk of making a mistake again and losing money and so within 12 months after graduating i actually went full-time into real estate and i paid back my grandma all the losses and just ran from there so
0: so you ended up starting you ended up making money then eventually oh
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: well, that's cool. Now, and then at one point you, you pivoted away from flipping. What did you do and why did you start uh, pivoting away? So so anyone who has fixed and
1: flipped a bunch of houses knows that this is not easy work. It's very transactional, especially if you're doing a lot of rehab work. There's a lot of project management. There's risk associated. You never know exactly how much you're going to sell that property for uh, unless you're really, really veteran and you've done hundreds and hundreds of deals. So, at the end of the day, what was happening is I was making a lot of money, but it was very transactional. I I was always looking for that next deal. What's next? What's next? And I started holding some rental properties. And I really really came to love the idea that every month that rent is going to be coming in, barring normal things like move outs and vacancy collections issues. But for the most part, that rent is coming in next month. And so I got uh, kind of bit by the bug of growing a portfolio of rental properties and really making my money on, on those monthly income streams rather than the fix and flip transactional lots of profits. And as you know, making lots of money on fix and flips, there's virtually no tax benefits. Unless you're holding these for 12 months at a time, which you don't do with fix and flips, there's no tax benefits. So I was paying an ungodly amount of taxes. And scratching my head, like this is real estate. It should be it should be tax advantageous. And and then on the rental property, the long-term hold side, that's where you start seeing some of the depreciation write-offs and accelerated bonus depreciation and and you cash flowed two hundred grand, but you're taxed on 20, 30 grand of it. Yeah. And that's, so right. that's where.
0: So you started holding some of these properties, uh, and how did that go and how did that evolve?
1: Yeah, actually, actually my first Good year of fix and flips, uh, which was my second year in the business. I was able to hold, I want to say, five or six properties myself into a rental portfolio. And then by the time my taxes were filed and my CPA told me how much I owed, which was a six figure check, I realized that I actually needed to sell two, maybe three of those properties that I had held to pay that tax. And so that's where it really kind of started thinking is. This is too slow. If if I am doing all these flips and investing, and then I have to pay this huge tax bill, and then at the end of the day, I only have two or three holds to myself. That's where I started thinking, well, instead of owning these properties by myself and putting up all the cash myself, what if I created partnerships with investors? So I'm boots on the ground. I I know I'm the expert in the market. So I'll find these properties, I'll rehab them, I'll rent them out, we'll have good equity. And then I'll have my investors basically come in for the capital side of it. And then I'll keep 20 or 30% ownership. And so I don't have, I'm not running that. I'm not up against that hurdle of after-tax dollars to invest. I'll invest where I can. Uh, And I started creating partnerships, started putting 10 single-family homes together at a time. Got up to about 150 single-family homes before my next aha moment hit in terms of
0: so this was the first aha moment. You essentially said, "Oh my gosh, I can bring investors in." You started raising money, so you essentially provided turnkey solutions for investors with single-family houses, which is very common. And so you built up a pretty sizable portfolio. So that's a pretty yeah. cool aha moment. What was your What was your one uh, that you developed next?
1: So at that point in time, I had 150 single-family homes. All of these homes I had purchased, rehabbed, rented. You know, each and every one of these, they're all over the city, and now I'm managing them and. And it's just really hairy uh it's a lot of work to manage all those properties. you've got maintenance people flying all over town, leasing agents all over and then i I caught a podcast about apartments about investing in apartments and and this was in twenty seventeen and uh, might have been it might have even been late twenty sixteen but I listened to a few podcasts, and then I realized that if all of these single family homes were all these rentals were in one place and I had an office there and I had my staff there and maybe people were just walking from building to building instead of driving across town. And also banks, when I learned about the financing options in terms of banks and lenders just loving the multifamily asset and the type of terms you can get versus hardly being able to get decent financing on a big single family home rental portfolio. It's about a joke. So all of those things, economies of scale, lending, uh, got me into my first apartment, uh, 46 unit. That's, fantastic. That and,
0: and, That's awesome. Uh, and you uh, use your investors to, to purchase that, I assume.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I had a decent investor network from all the single family homes and also the fix and flips and wholesale day wholesale day wholesale days. I had started with friends and family money and, and kind of worked out to word of mouth. And so I had a, a decent network of people funding my deals. And so when the apartment came through, I had a good group of investors together and we purchased that. It was, it was uh, 50% occupied. So had some fire damage.
0: Nice but little flip done, there.
1: Yeah. 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 But I had done so much construction work from the fix and flips that I wasn't afraid to go do a six hundred grand renovation on, on the forty six unit. So yeah, we were able to get through it. And I actually, I wasn't sure about getting the loan on that deal because it was 50% occupied, it had fire damage. And so I basically just bluffed the seller and said, hey, no bank will lend on this because it's 50% occupied, it's got fire damage, it, no one wants to touch it. You're going to have to hold back at least 70%. And he said, "Yeah, okay."
0: Oh, love it! Uh, and so, love it so yeah. much. That's great. You got your bank yeah. built into the deal. Love it. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, what uh, what surprised you when you went into this multifamily? Was it pretty smooth and pretty intuitive, or, or is there anything that kind of su- surprised or stood out uh, for you?
1: Well, a lot of things were similar, and so having owned so many rental properties and being familiar with all the different tenant related things my first reaction once we got into it was a breath of fresh air, quite honestly, because all my residents were there. It was when I was in terms of, I had 22 units that I needed to renovate and they're all right there. They weren't all over the the city. So a lot of it was just kind of realizing what I had thought and what I was thinking would happen in terms of just having everything and, and the power of, of that. Uh, and then In addition, it probably got a little bit more financial. So I had a lot to learn from an asset management perspective. So on the single family homes, it was more general. Here's my gross rent. Here's my expenses. Here's my expense ratio. There's not so much going into that. And then with the apartment building, you have debt. You're looking at occupancy a little bit. More asset focused because instead of spread across the city, looking at how to fill these different properties, you're now on an asset level. So you're thinking, what what can I do to increase the occupancy at, at this property? There was more branding. You don't go brand a single family home for rent. So there was building a website, learning what a rent roll is, learning collections uh, a little bit more. Dealt with kind of more intricate collection systems in the apartment complexes than we did previously with the single family homes. But at the end of the day, I'd say it was asset management, learning what that term meant and everything that goes into that on a month to month, if not week to week basis.
0: Now, it sounds like you're self-managing both the single family house portfolio and in this, and this building. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my experience was working in a property management company with a thousand single family homes. And so I worked within inside that company for over a year, about a year and a half. And so I had a pretty good taste of property management. And so I decided to off the when I started owning my own properties, I decided to self-manage, uh, hire a manager and kind of just scale it up from there.
0: When did you do work for a year for another property management company?
1: When I this was in 2012, when I moved from Reno, Nevada to Indianapolis. I started wholesaling deals. And my first wholesale deal, the gentleman who bought it, literally, so I bought it, I closed on Thursday. I went over on Friday, did some weed whacking, posted on Craigslist. This was a cheap home. I bought it for 12000 13000 I listed it for $20,000 on Craigslist. And I got a call the next day from a gentleman who said, Hey, uh, when did you take the pictures of this property? And I said, well, I just was there yesterday. That's where all the pictures are from. He said, okay, good. I'll take it. Send me the contract. And I said, you don't want to see it. It's got a lockbox. You know, you could go inspect it. And he said, oh, no, no. Uh, send me the contract. No need. Good job with the pictures. And let's close Let's close as soon as possible next week, hopefully. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. So I sent a contract. And that, that individual was buying as many properties as he could. 10, 15, 20 properties a month. And so the next deal I found, I naturally went back to him and, and kind of got to learn. He had a property management company. He was selling turnkey rentals, single family homes. And so I learned what his criteria was. He was only purchasing from auctions, sheriff sales, primarily. That was like 90% of his deals and then random Craigslist stuff. And so I formalized some acquisitions and within two years was managing all of his acquisitions and also overseeing his property management company, got him into third-party management software and, and kind of moving the levers and, and just creating an automation and, and systems.
0: So it was pretty cool. So you, you sold him wholesale the house to him and then he's ended up working for him, building his property management company for his, uh, for his properties. And uh, you learned a lot doing that. that. That's amazing.
1: It's an incredible springboard. And anytime I, I always say this to people looking to get into the game if you can find someone who's doing what you want to do, and, and even if it's grunt work, or any active investors looking for deals, right? So that's the top of the food chain. So if you can learn how to put a deal together, and you can go meet people who are looking for those deals and insert yourself and bring a deal. I mean, that's that that's what I did. So So yeah, it was a big time springboard with him.
0: That's great. So you decided, so first of all, you saw the business model, number one, it's like this turnkey thing. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's something to do with your epiphany is my guess because you saw someone doing it. So that's pretty cool. You had a pretty good model and then you, you then, uh, self-manage your, your properties. And so therefore you took that experience and the people you had and you self-managed the, uh, the apartment building as well. And Mm -hmm. how did that involve as you started scaling up the business? Uh, what kind of deals were you doing and did you continue self-managing or, or did you pivot?
1: Yeah. So Early on, it was not a money maker, right? So I was spending more money than, than I really should have uh, in terms of employees and actually having to manage these properties correctly. Ideally, early on, I could have found a good third-party manager. That's, as I'm sure you know, that, that's not an easy task. It's possible, not an easy task. But if I could rewrite time, I probably would have outsourced property management until I got to a little bit more scale. But since I did the way I did it, I, I, yeah, I self-managed from one property to 150 single-family homes to over 1,100 multifamily units.
0: And then at that point, you pivoted and then, uh, and then put third-party managers into your multifamily? Yeah. So we do have,
1: we do have a couple, a few assets that are outside of the Midwest who we do have third party managers uh, on, but most of the portfolio is still in-house at this scale. We have uh, we have a COO, we have really talented people working within the property management company. It's, it's actually a revenue generator. Of course, you know, once, once you get at least 500 units or so uh, you can afford good people and, and have it revenue generating. So yeah, we kind of have a little bit of a mixed bag right now. But if it's if it's in the Midwest, then we prefer to manage it ourselves.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's interesting that you do that. We're we're evaluating constantly because one of the the the, the difficult, most difficult things to do is get the proper manager right. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you have a bad property manager, it's relatively easy to fire one and you can replace one. But but you can't always get it perfect. Yeah. And I find that you know when I we have a great idea, hey, why don't we do a trash valet? Uh, we think uh-huh. it's a fantastic idea, and the property is like no. No, I don't think so. We've never done it before. And no, I don't know how to do that. And then you're like, wow, wow. And then you like, what do I do? I want a trash relay, right? And so your ability to control things is limited because you have to quote influence them and coax them and bug them. And so, especially in a portfolio that is maybe geographically dispersed, you might be working with multiple property managers. So now you have different best practices, different finishes, different bookkeeping, different everything. And you're like, ah, I'm going insane here. And so you do ask yourself, my gosh, what, what, what? what if we take this property management in house? And we're, we're thinking about that as well, I think right around between the 500 plus, th- certainly by 1000 units, you start scratching your head going, hey, what if we brought this in house, because you have management fees coming in and payroll. And like you said, you can get some pretty good, uh, mm-hmm. pretty good uh, uh, staff that way. So yeah. so that's pretty cool. So if they're in, in Midwest or co located, you, it's your company managing it. If it's a little farther away, you have someone else doing it, which is uh, which is great. That's yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think the key, the key, what you said, there's control. And yeah. so at the end of the day, as long as you can find good talent, no one's going to manage your properties like you will. Uh, I mean, I haven't found it. I know people are successful third party. I think probably the nicer the asset, the less value add going on there, the less kind of day to day needs, probably the more successful. Um, but yeah, I haven't, I tried using a third party company on a big value add deal with lots of construction unwound that within four months. And it just Mm. wasn't, just wasn't working out, but yeah.
0: Let's talk about scaling a little bit. Uh, talk about um, how did you scale various different things? So one of them, obviously, is the, is the management side, the property management, and in your case, also the asset management as well. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that first, and then we'll talk about the capital raise, uh, just scaling everything up, because certainly when you have 50 units, 100 units, 200 units, it's quite a bit different than when you, when you start getting to 1,000 units. What were some of your first hires that you made? Let's talk about on the management side mm-hmm. and maybe the system side. What are some of the first hires and or systems that you implemented?
1: Yeah, the number one thing I think about when the word scale comes into the picture is technology and systems. Like, what's our foundation? And so, from a property manager perspective, we use Propertyware with RealPage. We've used them since 2012. Uh, there's a lot of good property management software out there, so I'm not saying that they're the best, but that's who we went with, and that's who we've used, and, and that's great. So, very integrat,e very uh, detailed property management platform. So that's number one, of course. And then, in terms of hiring, um, I had one of my first hires was a really good leasing agent who could also do assistant property management type things. And then, the next hire, most important hire, uh, was a COO, someone who had the experience of managing thousands of multifamily units, just an A plus rock star. Actually, ended up offering her uh, equity in my company to solidify that relationship because it's so important to me to have someone there in the trenches managing those operations. Uh, so, So people is a big thing, technology and systems and automation, anytime you can lean in. And I think about this myself and I also tell my associates and team members, anytime you do the same thing more than once, think about how you can do that Better the next time. How maybe you don't have to ever do that again because of the tools and technology and systems available to us.
0: Yeah, so true. So, what about on the capital raising side, right? So, you had built up uh, this this machine of raising uh, raising capital, but how did you how did you scale that?
1: So, going back to twenty twelve, even twenty thirteen, I after the Jobs Act was passed, there were real estate crowdfunding sites that started to pop up. And I don't know how this happened, but it caught my eye early on. I think there was a lot of Jobs Act stuff in the headlines, and then first real estate crowdfunding site, and I signed up, and and that whole that whole idea of managing that process and that relationship through a website through a platform to give the investors a better experience, because no investor wants to chase emails and and you know, print things, upload, scan, and. that's not a good, a good experience. Uh, And then also from my experience, if I can, if I can cut down all of these calls and all these individual emails, and if I can wrap this in. So the idea uh, of raising capital online hit me very early on. And so uh, in 2013 into 2014, I actually built out a website with a development team so that I could register investors and take investments through my website and give investors a nice dashboard where they can view their investments. This was before investor portals, right? So there was no investor portal to subscribe on to. And so I built out my own website, got a lot of traction with that. Basically, I kept optimizing it, kept changing things based on investor feedback, based upon my needs as a company when I'm raising money. And then eventually realized that what I had built was something that my colleagues were saying, "Hey." how do we build that and and my answer was always you don't want to because this you know this is a perpetual thing we've been working on for over it took a, almost a year nine months to get even the first version up and then just this perpetual thing we've been working on spending so much time and money and you have securities attorneys involved and finally in 2018 I actually noticed investor portals available and so I was thinking, you know, maybe it's time to get off this homemade website and get into a better, better solution. And so I demoed a few, realized that they're extremely expensive and quite honestly, pretty bulky and complicated. And not, in my opinion, what I had already built wasn't very far off from what I was seeing through the demos. And so I talked with a couple of colleagues and said, and said basically, hey, if I if I polish up the edges of what I've already built, would you be interested in using it? I said, oh, of course. I'm like, yeah, of course. And so I teamed up with my development company uh, and we started a company called Syndication Pro. And it is a suite of tools for syndicators. So it it includes an investor portal. So you can register your investors and provide the service that investors are looking for. But then from your back office perspective, it was important to me because I mean, I've completed 18 syndications online now, and I've done three this year so far, and I manage that myself. And so, really, creating a system where I can put together the details, I can publish it, and I can have it doesn't matter if 20 investors or 100 investors are investing, it's no more work for me. And I have everything built in. So, when the CPA at the end of the year needs to know, how much in distributions? What's the ownership? What's the EINs, tax numbers, addresses? Uh, you know, all of that. I can just hit the tax report and export it, and in the K ones, right? Uh, getting those securely to investors. So yeah, so it's been a blast, um, and that's been a big part of raising money for me is is doing that online through a process that focuses on simplicity, ease of use, automation, and it, it's been really fun.
0: That's awesome. That's great. So, so now you're in the software business, also, which is really exciting. We have yeah. another episode about about that. I, I, I want to ask you a question because in your past, you actually, uh, and th- we glossed over this a little bit. But you actually lost money, and yeah. uh, I've lost money before. And and you know, I don't think someone really knows what it's like to well, who's never lost money before. It's difficult to know what that what that person goes th- went through, especially when you're doing it so young and you were you were so young. And a lot of people who experienced that, especially your first deal, like if it's your 10th deal is one thing, <laughs> you have some perspective, but your first deal, like, I don't know if that was a good idea. And I'll just go back to doing what I was doing before. And you kind of crawl back into a hole. How did you deal with that loss? Especially so it was because it was money that you got from your family. Like, that's like, ah, it's like, does that, well, it was even worse. How did yeah. you deal with that loss? And, and how did you, how were you able to overcome that?
1: I've always been, and I think this is important to be, Whenever there's an issue or a hurdle or something, something is weighing you down. I always try to turn that into what's the solution, or, or why did it happen, and how to how do we come out better. And so, definitely, it was it was tough going. It was tough, but the thing that content that I knew and what kept me through it was I knew that people were making money doing the fix and flips. I knew I was able to reconcile my mistakes. And I knew how I would on the next deal fix those or avoid those same mistakes. Uh, And I also knew that if I was to go get a nine to five and have a salary and work my way up, it would take me forever to pay back that money to my grandma. And so with all those things considered, I actually maxed out my student loans my senior year of college. I also worked a full-time job through college. And so with the maxed out loans, student loans, and my work savings, I had about 20 grand that I'd saved up and that was my risk capital. And I just got behind it. I knew people were making money and I knew that it would be the fastest, most profitable way to pay back my grandma. And I would put my own dollars at risk. And so I I leaned into it.
0: That's awesome. All right. So let me ask you this. If you could have a conversation with your younger self, what would you tell yourself and maybe what would you do differently?
1: So if I get back to my teenage self, back when I was getting ready to jump into those fix and flips, I would say, please just find someone doing this and see how I can put my dollars with them. Ideally, a joint venture, maybe I'm bringing the deal to them and they're, we're putting up the money 50-50 or some type of way to hedge my risk. Don't do this alone. Don't take that route. And then in addition, knowing where I'm at now with the bigger syndications and multifamily real estate, I think I would ask myself to get into probably a private equity company or a real estate private equity company who is investing in multifamily real estate and just skip the single family homes. Maybe I would satisfy my curiosity maybe do a few. But more importantly, I would pick up a job with a real estate private equity company and just be in the interworkings, get to ideally a smaller private equity company where I can kind of rub shoulders with the key principles and really just be a student and soak it in and use that as a springboard for my
0: career. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, you know, sometimes we look back on ourselves. It's not that we regret things, but we're like, man, there's ways we could probably get, uh, take a little bit more of a direct path. Uh, and a, a lot of us are that way. It's, and it's, uh, you know, can we fi- kind of figure these things out? But, you know, when you were, I mean, it's always good to have a model. I mean, imagine, imagine, I mean, yes, you can work for private equity, but Imagine instead of, Uh, wholesaling it to, uh, you know, a a property management company flipper, right, you basically got, uh, you know, you sold a a property to someone who owns 400 units or 1000 units, right. And then all of a sudden, you saw what they were doing, and it gives you a whole new model. And I think so, so, so often models is what's what's so valuable seeing other people, you know, first of all, it it shows you what's possible. Oh, I didn't even know you could do that. Uh, And then it also allows you to visualize that and then to believe it yourself. And I've had several, you know, uh, many uh, experiences like that when you're like, I don't think I can do that. And it's like, no, you can. You can do it. It's actually pretty easy. And you're like, okay, well, if you think it's easy, maybe I can do it. Yeah. And i was just yeah. wondering, you know, if I, if someone had told me, hey, you know, those re- restaurant things, because I got into restaurants, mm-hmm. lost my shirt in restaurants. If someone said, you know, it's probably not the best idea. Why don't you try multifamily? That would be, you know, and I wonder what would have happened. <laughs> How <laughs> yeah. we have we gone that? So this is this is great. It, it's, you you literally described like the sequential journey of the, and I wouldn't say typical. but many real estate investors they start with, the late night infomercial, the wholesaling, then the flipping, and then the landlording. You know, and then finally they see the light at the end of the day. And sometimes many years have gone by un, uh, until they've come up with that. So. So it's awesome. So it's a great, it's a great journey, and I, I do agree that joint venturing is the way to go. I mean, it, it's so common. It, it you know what's funny is in, in a single family house, it's so foreign to have joint ventures. Like no one even thinks about, it. no one even talks about it. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. you get in a multi-family, and if you're like the lone wolf, you're like weird. They're like dude, are you something? Are you something wrong with you, man? I and mean, you gotta <laughs> go out there, and network, and build your joint ventures. And it's yeah. interesting, actually. It makes it a little bit more fun. Now, I mean, what yeah. what's kind of your your parting advice to someone? you know, who kind of wants to do what you do? It's
1: got to be a repeat of what we've kind of a little bit of a theme of our conversation is being able to get on someone's team who is experienced, um, being able to see where you fit in a deal, uh, whether that's the top of the deal, which in my opinion is finding it. That's the golden nugget. In my opinion, everything comes after that fact or bringing or investing in the deal or or doing uh, maybe you're local to the deal, so you can do some project management or asset management. Maybe even lease units at the place. So any anywhere you can insert yourself into the business model, and align yourself with people doing what you want to do. Think creatively. Don't be afraid to take a job, uh, and and just get into that system and start rubbing shoulders and and learn.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's been great, Jacob. Uh, how can people uh, connect with you? So the best way
1: quite honestly is email jacob at syndicationpro.com
0: that's awesome yeah syndication pro uh, check it out check out uh, contact jacob as well so jacob great thanks for uh, being here sharing your story today thank you so much michael so one of the key lessons that jacob had was Joint venturing, the idea of partnering with somebody, and, and this takes a variety of flavors. You talked about, you know, working for someone else for free to learn the ropes. I'm not opposed to that. I think, you know, working for even rich dad, poor dad, you know, working for free for someone to learn the ropes is is totally fine. We've had people, uh, let's say, oh, you talked about finding deals they are out there, you know, they don't have very much money, uh, but they have hustle. So they find deals and they bring them to experienced operators like us. We've done 11 deals in that way from people who brought us deals and now they're general partners and they have their own portfolios or people who love to analyze deals, right? A lot of syndicators, believe it or not, really don't love analyzing deals. It's tedious, too many numbers. um, And so we've had people who really love analyzing work for free almost with an experienced operator, right? The value proposition hey, when a deal comes in, I'm going to underwrite it for you uh, and maybe you'll use a syndicated deal analyzer or or analysis. analysis tool that's available from us as well. Most popular analysis tool on the planet for multifamily now syndicated deal analyzer. And, um, So every time you get a marketing package, I'm going to deliver you also the syndicated deal analyzer, the analysis, making it much more easier to scan and use. And people, you know, were were hired as the chief underwriters, being paid either nothing or something very little, and they become general partners, they learn the ropes, and they go do these things themselves. So it's a really, really powerful way. Also aligning yourself with other more experienced operators, providing some kind of value for them, finding a deal. Underwriting, helping them raise capital, doing grunt work, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but really, the idea of joint venturing and raising capital is really the secret. And, uh, you know, by Jacob's own admission, he probably could have shaved off years and years of what he did with a single family house investing if he had figured that out earlier. But hey, it's never too late to get started. So really excited about the ability to get started in multifamily really regardless of what your experience is or what your capital and your resource, your cash situation is, because you can always partner for what you don't have have, you can raise capital from others. And you can partner with others and it happens all the time. We have, um, we have a deal something called Deal dealmaker mastermind, which is an online community of uh, several 100 people right now. And we just opened it up recently for for everybody. It's only $49 per month, you can find out more the michaelblank.com forward slash DMM for dealmaker mastermind. And you can connect with people there, right? You, uh, we've had uh, multiple deals come out of that. We have multiple joint ventures come out of that, and it's a great way for you to connect with others uh, who are super serious and uh, either find deals or bring deals or get money. It's a great way to connect. That's the Deal Maker Mastermind. Also, if you're listening to this and you're really interested in investing passively, we'd love to have a conversation with you. Uh, you can find out more at our investment company, NighthawkEquity.com. Is our company? Head over to NighthawkEquity.com and click the join button. You can join our investment club, and that's starts by uh, you having a phone call conversation with us to get to know each other a little bit more. And then we can share with you some upcoming opportunities that you have. If you're still not quite sure about this multifamily investing thing, then check out our free reports call at the forward slash report. It really talks about the differences between the stock market and the real estate pros and cons. What's better? How are they different? And it might be right for you. It might be a great way for you to get started with alternative investments outside of the stock market. All right, you guys, that's it for today. Catch you next episode. Thanks Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.